Good to see you this morning. I guess there's no young couples that got old enough to join us. Yeah, they don't want to admit it. So I don't know what that cutoff is for young couples. So, uh, First Samuel this morning, we're going to kind of look at chapters 21 and 22 a little bit and uh, talk about when you falter in your faith. When you falter in your faith this morning. And, uh, but before we, we look at the lesson this morning, does anybody have any praises or testimonies they'd like to share? All right. Good. First Samuel chapter 21. And, and uh, what do you do when you falter in your faith and fall into sin? Um, <clears throat> it's going to happen. Uh, even the greatest, if you want to put it that way, uh, of believers uh, is going to make mistakes. They're going to sin. Uh, they're going to falter, if you will, is, is the word uh, that we're looking at, not necessarily looking at this morning, but, you know, I, I didn't want to use the word falter at first because it just kind of makes, almost makes light of it. Oh, he, he faltered, made a mistake. And, and, uh, but then I looked in Webster's uh, dictionary and I thought it would be appropriate to use and uh, there are three things that we can do we're going to look at. We've got to confront the cause, consider the consequences, and then confess the sin, uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. But when I looked at Webster's and looked at Falter there and found the definition, it says, to fail, and this is one of the definitions, I think it was number three, but um, to fail in regular exercise of the understanding. And this is what caught my attention. We observe idiots to falter. That was pretty good. So this morning, all I got to say is, don't be an idiot, and we can go home, right? No, uh, but seriously, I, I thought that was interesting. You know, sometimes we, uh, when you think about when we fail, oftentimes it's just because we're being an idiot. Um, God gave us a way out. The Word of God tells us that. And, and, and He provides a way for us to be successful, and to be victorious, and and we do the idiotic thing, and idiotic thing, and we choose to fail. We choose to falter, and so uh, we're going to look at that. And I believe David made some uh, some uh, mistakes in, in these couple of passages here in, in these chapters, and and uh, you know a lot of people will excuse it, you know, given the circumstances, it's understandable what he's doing, and and uh, but I, I think that. If he would have done the right thing and been honest, God would have honored that. And I don't know what the, the Word of God would have re- recorded as the, the opposite of what took place, but I think God could have had something else to be recorded here if David would have chose to be honest about the situations that were taking place here. And, and I, again, I, don't, I, don't, I can't explain what it would be. I'm not going to you know, try to guess what God may have done, but the reality is if, if we do right, God will take care of it. And uh, we don't have to feel pressured or be so fearful that we feel like we need to lie or, or, or to sin. And so um, <clears throat> let's uh, start by reading verses 1 through 9 in chapter 21. We'll have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll look at what God has for us this morning. Uh, then came David to Nob, and of course we know this is after the uh, bitter uh, meeting with Jonathan, and they know that they're probably not going to meet each other again, and, 
And uh, so they're separating their, their uh, going their separate ways. And, and actually, let's look at uh, verse 42 in chapter uh, 20. It says, And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the same of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between uh, my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And so we know here that, that this is right after their departing. And uh, we know that it was a bitter moment. Uh, for David. And, and uh, then we pick this up in verse, or, or chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, uh, The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee and I have appointed my servant to such and such a place. Now therefore, uh, what is under thine hand, give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or, 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 what is there, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under the mine, under mine hand, but there, is a hallowed, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, and David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have uh, been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner uh, common. Yea, uh, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. Uh, so the priests gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread uh, that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there uh, that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen, that belongeth to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, uh, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind uh, the ephod. If thou wilt take that, or take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the exciting time of the young people uh, transitioning to classes. We pray that you be with them as they make that transition. Lord, that you just bless uh, that change. Lord, we pray that you bless each Sunday school teacher this morning, that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord, and that you would use your word to draw each one near to Christ. And Lord, we just pray that you meet with us this morning. Give us something from your word to help us to be better servants for thee. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And, and so we see here that uh, David uh, is on, on uh, I, I want to say the lamb, I guess. You know, he's just running from Saul. And, and uh, <clears throat> we know that Saul is desiring to kill him and to take his life. And that's understandable, right? Um, I think I wouldn't come to church if Brother Long was trying to kill me. I might go look for some other place to, uh, to fellowship on Sunday. Uh, but, but listen, I, I think it's understandable, but I think David uh, kind of loses sight of, of, of some things here. And, and so he gives this farewell with Jonathan, and, and he flees to Nob, which nearest I can tell according to some of the maps I, I did, is about two miles uh, north, maybe slightly northeast of Jerusalem. And uh, the tabernacle is located there, and and um, he goes to the right place. 
I think it's important to note that, that he goes to see help, help from the high priest. Uh, he goes to the man of God for some help, and, and, uh, but he's not honest with the man of God of what's taking place. And I think that's where he went wrong. Listen, and I'll just, this wasn't in my notes, but, but as I think about it, uh, our preacher can't help you unless you're honest with him. Right? I mean, it's the same with God. Until we're honest with God and with ourselves, we're not going to get help. But it's the same with our pastor. And he can only do so much if we're not honest with him. And so, uh, be honest with our preacher. Anyway, I don't know where that came from. But uh, <clears throat> when David gets there, Elimelech, according to the scripture, he's a little bit suspicious and frightened. You know, it's, it's unusual for, for uh, David... You know, the warrior and, and, and the man of his stature in the kingdom there uh, to be traveling alone, or at least in the circumstances, because the scriptures indicate that there were some men with him here. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, obviously David's not looking at his best in these circumstances, right? Remember, he was in the field with Jonathan, and, and Jonathan says, yep, you need to get out of here, David. Uh, they say their goodbyes, and, and he begins to flee. And he doesn't have anything with him. And, and so he probably looks wearied, looks uh, like he's been crying even possibly. And, and, and he just doesn't look like a man that's on the king's errand that would typically go out with, with an entourage, if you will, and, and folks, and, and be prepared to go on this. And, and, of course, he lies and tells them it's because of its, it, you know, the king's business is, requires haste, and it did. The king's trying to kill him, you know, it, it, you know, but he wasn't being completely honest about that there. And so, um, but, but for whatever reason, uh, Ahimelech kind of keys into the guy, and he's like, something's not right here. He, he's, he's not in his normal circumstances, and, uh, and, and, of course, David gives the story there, right? And, and tells him that uh, he's on a secret mission. You know, sometimes when you join the military, everybody thinks you're in some secret mission uh, unit, right? Um, it, it, you know, what do you do? I, well, I can't tell you. Or we'd have to kill you, you know. You, but, uh, um, but David, he, he's not honest with the man of God here. And uh, he, he comes up with some, some reason and and uh, he, I can't tell you what's going on exactly. And, and uh, he begins to, a chain reaction of, of horrible consequences, really, that we'll see here in these passages. And, and uh, I, when you're tempted to lie, because it happens, right? I, I, and maybe you're not human like me, I don't know. You've got some superhuman spiritual strength that I don't, I'm not, I haven't been able to tap in yet. Because there's times when it's tempting to do so. Um, but I want you to remember Proverbs twelve nineteen. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. But for a moment. And I think David learned that lesson in a terrible way in this passage here. It, it got him through the immediate circumstance of dealing with, with the man of God and, and with Amalek and, and, and getting really what he wanted out of him, right? Just a little provisions and some things so he can get on his way. Uh, but I don't think he understood and he didn't stop to consider the consequences that that was going to bring. And uh, listen, a lie may get you out of a jam temporarily, but the situation created by the deceit 
will not last. Right? It, it's it's going to change. And David quickly learns that here. And, and so David, he's frightened and tired, and, and he's hungry. He, he asks for the loaves, right? And, and, uh, uh, and really anything to eat. And, and the only bread that's available, we, we find here, is, is the show bread or the holy bread. And, and uh, <clears throat> it was removed from the holy place. Uh, they replaced it every Sabbath day, right? And, and so um, it sounds like he was just re- replacing it to, to put some hot bread in there. And, and so there was this leftover bread. But that bread, according to Levit- Leviticus 24 was intended for the priests uh, to be eaten by the priests. And, and, and we're not going to get into a lot of that because Jesus actually, I think, references this in, in Matthew chapter 12, and he, and he uses David as an example of it was okay. And I think, I think the man of God here, he rightly understood that the human need was more important than the Levitical observance, right? And, and, and so uh, there's provisions for that. And, and you can look at Matthew chapter 12 if you want to. Uh, study that on your own, and, and, uh, but uh, for sake of time, and, and really that wasn't my focus, we're going to move on here, and, and uh, <clears throat> David uh, is also unarmed, right? So he's hungry, he's tired, he's weary uh, from this journey that, that really has just begun. He's only a couple miles into this thing, and, and, and of course we know it lasts for, uh, for months and years, but um, uh, here it's just the beginning, and, and uh, he's unarmed, so he asks for a weapon. And, and, and wouldn't you know the weapon that's there? Goliath's sword. And I would like to think this is an opportunity for David to be reminded of what God is able to do. And Elimelech says, hey, the only thing we have here is, is Goliath's sword, the, the man that you slew, David. Uh, the victory that God gave you. That's the only sword that we have. And, of course, David takes that, and there's none other like it, he says. And, and uh, he gives that to him. And, and, and this, I would like to think, is an opportunity where God's saying, David, don't forget what I can do for you. Don't forget the victory that I can bring. And that sword was obviously a representation of the victory that God had done through him. But David, for whatever reason, just in his haste, in, 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 his, in his focus on just what he's interested in at that moment, isn't really recognizing what God has done in his past and what God's able to still do. And, and uh, so he takes the sword, and <clears throat> um, but I just can't help but think what a miraculous reminder of the power and faithfulness of God that must have been. Uh, yet, because he feared Saul, he, he didn't even recognize what it represented. And, and, and he had forgotten what was going on there. And so we're talking about confronting the cause of sin. And I think David was so fearful that it caused him to sin. He was so afraid for his life because of what this man, Saul, could do. And, and listen, that's understandable. Saul was the king. He had a lot of resources at his disposal to, to do what he wanted. And so it, there was founded fear here. I mean, it's not uh, ridiculous to be in fear of some, of the, if the king is out to get you. And, and uh, listen, we all have weaknesses that make us vulnerable. We do. You know, we have those lusts that when we're drawn away of our own, right? Those things that, that we struggle with. 
Um, we can say maybe the besetting sin, something that, you know, but we all have these weaknesses, and it's a little bit different for everyone. Um, but we have to confront those things. Um, we got to get a hold of those things that cause us to sin. That's why we have standards. That's why we don't go certain places. You have to put some safeguards in your life to protect you uh, from, from yourself and, and your sinful desires. Um, listen, for David here, it's fear. Others, maybe they're, they, it's discouragement, inappropriate relationships, greed, lust. Listen, impatience. And sometimes we just get impatient with waiting on God. Sometimes we get impatient with just life with your boss, whatever that case may be. Each one of us have weaknesses. But we have to build something up to protect us. And, and uh, I can't help but think, and in, in, uh, anybody remember G.I. Joe, the American hero? You know what their slogan was? Knowing is half the battle. Listen, if we're going to deal with sin in our lives, we have to understand the root cause sometimes. Eh, not root, I'm not talking about our sinful nature. That would ultimately be. But, but those areas that were extra vulnerable, those areas that, that maybe are, were more susceptible to get tripped up in, we need to identify those in our life and put safeguards in place. Whether that's the television set, whether that's the internet um, a smartphone, the, the computer, whatever those things are, and uh, in, in, in going places, uh, participating in certain activities. Uh, as I mentioned, relationships, you need to put some safeguards to protect you from those things. I'm afraid, I'm getting ahead of my notes here, uh, maybe we won't get there anyway, but um, I'm afraid our sin doesn't trouble us like it ought to. And we just become content with it. Um, brother, uh, I was going to say Brother Long. I don't know why I always use Brother Long, but this has actually nothing to do with him because it was Brother Jones. It was Adam Jones in the men's prayer breakfast talking about um, desiring God to do something in our lives or with us, through us, in us. But we have to take action. Right, we have to do some things. And, and he used that verse in, in Proverbs about the slothful. And, and uh, we have to do some things to protect ourselves. And listen, I'm not going to get into specifics this morning because the things that I struggle with, you may not. The things that you struggle with, I may not. But the reality is we need to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, I'm vulnerable in this area. Because I understand that, I'm going to do this so I can avoid that. But because we have such a nonchalant attitude, I don't think we're willing to do that. I think we're so content just to live in defeat and, 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 and oh, let me stay on track here. We'll get there. And, and so... We got to confront the cause. We got to, uh, oftentimes, in David, he became so fearful 
I think he forgot who God was and, and what God has done in his past. And that if, as I mentioned in the opening here, if he would have just been honest with the man of God, who better else to help him than the man of God? The, listen, things aren't good. Obviously, uh, the high priest here was pretty oblivious to what was going on with him and, and King Saul. He had no idea of what, or the at least the extreme uh, situation that it was for David. If he did, and he would have just been honest with him, I'm pretty sure the man of God would have prayed for him and gave him some advice and, and helped him in a different way. And listen, if nothing else, the man of God would have known that when it was time to go meet King Saul, he would have been prepared for something. But they were blindsided. And anyway, uh, so, um, but sometimes we need to confront the cause, but you ought to consider the consequences. Like I said, we get so content with a certain level of sin in our life, I think. We don't even factor in consequences. And, and this morning, in, the, in, in what takes place here in this passage, it's extreme consequences for what? For the lie that David told. It's extreme. People were murdered. Um, but I think we settle for, I don't even think it's the second best. Uh, I think it's just third, fourth, fifth string stuff in our Christian life because we're so content with sin in our life and the consequences that they bring in our life and, and the lack of power and strength and what God could really be doing with us if we would deal with those things. Uh, but the consequences, and so we'll stay, stay on track with, with the passage here. And, and so from Nob, David goes in, in uh, chapters 21 and in verse 10, it says, uh, the, and David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And so uh, David just continues to flee. And, and so um, he heads to Gath and, and uh, really the hometown of Goliath. Um, and listen, I, it's probably not the dumbest place to go. I mean, arguably it's the dumbest place to go. But, but really, do you think Saul's going to think to search in this location for David? Probably not. You know, so if you're in fear of your life because of Saul, maybe it's the most reasonable place to go because that's the last place you're going to be sought after. Uh, nobody's going to think you went there, but, but really he's going to the, to the enemy's house. And, and, uh, and so he flees and, and they recognize him, right? And, and, and uh, <clears throat> in verse... Uh, Actually, you know what? I want to let's read verse seven. Let me before I get ahead of myself. This is kind of back into the confront the cause and, and really in those passages one through. Well, no disregard. Let me stay on my notes. Sorry, I'm distracting myself. Excuse me this morning. Uh, but he he flees to this place and and uh, he gets recognized by the people there. They said, "Isn't this David?" Didn't they sing songs about him and Saul and and Saul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh, there and and uh, uh, they <clears throat> and David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. That's right after verse eleven. The servants of Achish said unto him, "Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands?" And and boy, he gets there and he's like, "Uh oh, they figured out who I am." And uh, so he does the old trick here. 
in verse 13, and he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Started acting like a madman to try to deceive him. And, And I just can't help but think of what a shameful scene here. Uh, the greatest warrior and hero of, hero of Israel, acting like a lunatic. Acting like a lunatic again. In, in verse, look at what it says there in verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. Again, he had forgot what God had done with him or through him and for him. And he got his mind on Saul. And he became fearful and he's fleeing, and, and, he's, and he's feigning to be a, a lunatic. And, and uh, listen, he's acting like an idiot. And, uh, but it works, right? This humiliating act, it, it works. And, and uh, the king there in, in uh, uh, verse 15, I have, uh, have I need of a madman uh, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And, and the king's, what are you? I don't need this crazy lunatic around here. And, and so the, the trick works. And, and, uh, but listen, that's not the worst of the consequences for David's sin. To say the least. I mean, that, obviously, he had to kind of act like a lunatic to uh, continue his, his flea uh, for his lack of faith in the Lord. But, but uh, back in verse 7, I told you I would get here. Uh, in chapter 21, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. When I first was reading this, and, I, and I've read it over and over in years past, sometimes you don't pick up on that, but that's an important thing that God put there on purpose. When David went to see Ahimelech, that, that Doeg was there. And... Uh, he sees him there, and, and uh, he squeals, right? He tells King Saul eventually and, and, uh, that David is, was, was, he saw him there and, and uh, um, that, he gave, that the high priest gave David provisions and he gave him the sword uh, and helped him on his flea. And, and uh, Saul really kind of goes crazy there and, and uh, what do they say? He goes ballistic. Um, and and uh, he sends for Elimelech and his sons. Look at uh, 22 in uh, chapter or verse 10. And inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals. Excuse me, verse 9. Then Doeg, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him. And gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob. And they came, all of them, to the king. And so Doeg spills the beans, says, hey, I saw David there. The, the, the priest was helping him. And so the king calls him and and. Uh, you know, I imagine they showed up in the in their their priestly garments and 
and uh, they're meeting the king after all, right? And, and uh, they're not necessarily certain of why the king's calling them. And, and so I believe they, they showed up and, and uh, <clears throat> dressed properly for the occasion. And, and uh, so Saul accuses them of, of conspiring with David. And uh, this is really the first understanding that the high priest has of this situation. And, uh, and he, he honestly answers him, uh, that he knew nothing of it. Look at verses 12 uh, down through uh, verse 15. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here am I, my Lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have you conspired against me, thou and the uh, son of Jesse, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as, it, or as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? And I don't know if you remember in the weeks past, we talked about David just doing the right thing. And David always being where he ought to be, and he had made a reputation for himself to be a trustworthy, honorable person. And so the man of God had no reason to question what David had told him previously. And Ahimelech is just telling the king, hey, this guy is is your number one man. I have no reason to question him. In verse 15, did I then begin to choir of the Lord for him, for it was far from me, let not the king impute anything unto the, his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy su- servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. He said, I don't know anything about what was going on. He, in all sincerity, thought he was doing the right thing by King Saul. There was no reason to question the number one man of God, or the number one uh, man of the king, David. He was honorable. And I'm afraid David used that to his advantage in these circumstances. But, but anyway, and, and so uh, <clears throat> he just was doing the right thing. And, uh, but again, the man of God can only do so much if you're not honest with him. Can't do anything for you if you're not honest with him. And, and uh, so Elimelech honestly thought he was doing the right thing here. However, Saul was... Uh, uh, and we talked about this, and, you know, the, the Spirit of the Lord had left him, and he was so many steps away from God, uh, he lost all sense of what's right and wrong in this situation, I believe. And uh, he orders the footmen to slay the priests, uh, the priests of God. And in verse 17, that's where that you find that. It says, And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king of... No, excuse me, that's not wrong chapter... I was in chapter 23, sorry. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also was with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. Well, what a dangerous place to be, to be so far from God that you're commanding to kill the priests. Well, and we talked about that. Saul is obviously uh, in no way walking with the Lord at this point, and and uh, <clears throat> but he orders them to be killed. And and uh, 
what a, it, it, the latter part of that verse says, and because they knew, er, but the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. Saul's own royal guard said, you know what, this is, this is way too much. What an atrocity. And, and how blasphemous would it be for us to kill these, these priests? And so they refused the order. And uh, they, they say, we're not going to do this. And, and, uh, <clears throat> but Saul, he then orders Doeg here, uh, an Edomite, a foreigner, obviously has less respect for, for the men of God and, and, and for God himself uh, to kill these defenseless priests. And Doeg there, he, he, he follows the order. And it says that they kill four score and five or 85 priests that day that were wearing the ephod. And then in verse 19, And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and suckling oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. David's lie and his deceit led to something that was just unbelievable. When you think of that, you know, and, and you think of Saul's rage and his anger, and he's got this servant that's going to do whatever he says, and, and they kill the men of God, 85 of them. And they don't even stop there. They go and they, and they finish off all their families. Kill the women and the children and even all their animals. Uh, and, and, and listen, uh, your sin, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, affects more than just you. David's dishonesty in these circumstances had grave grave consequences to the people of Nob, to the men of God, to the ministry. The sin of one person can cause a lifetime of pain for many. Don't ever forget that there's consequences for your sin. And I'm afraid we minimize it so much because we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But listen, we lack the power of God in our life because we allow sin. And I get that. This is extreme consequences of of telling a lie here. And we don't always see that played out in our daily lives. But I'm telling you, there's just as extreme consequences in our lives when we allow sin in it. And as I was meditating on this, and as I was coming in this morning, I don't have it down here, but I thought about it even while I was sitting on the front row. And, and I thought, I want to be a vessel of honor. Meet for the master's use. And if we're going to be that, we can allow sin in our life at any level. Don't be content with even what we consider the small things. Don't be content with any sin. Deal with that stuff. There are consequences. I know you guys have heard this. Sin always has consequences, but I know you've heard this. Sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. Keep you there longer than you wanted to stay 
and cost you more than you wanted to pay. If David would have understood the consequences of that situation that he created at Nob, I don't believe he would have done that. If he would have had the foreknowledge that if I do this, Saul's going to slay all these people, the high priest. I don't, I don't think he would have done it. David's an honorable man. But listen, in our haste and in our short-sightedness, we make stupid decisions. We play the idiot, if you will. We falter and we allow what at the time seems to be such a small thing in our life. We allow it to creep in. Because we don't stop to consider what consequences might come. And I'm telling you this morning, don't let those things in your life. When you get tempted to, oh, this is just, it's not a big deal. Uh, listen, the circum- most people would excuse what David did here because of the circumstances, right? Oh, that's not that big of a deal. A little white lie, no big deal. But, but look at the consequences that he didn't even deal with. People were murdered because of a white lie. Listen, if you don't think your sin's a big deal, you're wrong. It's a big deal. If nothing else, it's hindering your ability to minister and to reach the lost for Christ. That ought to break your heart. Knowing that the sin you allow in your life hinders the lost from being reached. That ought to break your heart. Or do you not care? How many more people can we reach if we would purify our lives? If we would deal with the sin? And and that's what we're going to this morning. And lastly, we got to confess the sin. Leaving Gath, David flees and and we're going to kind of move quickly here. And, and he flees to Adullam, you know, the cave there in uh, approximately a 12-mile journey. It's south there, maybe southwest of Jerusalem. In uh, verse, chapter 22 and verse 1, we see that. Um, it says, And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave, Adullam. And when his brethren and all his fathers heard it, they went down hither to them, or to him. And, and uh, so David flees down to this cave and... and uh, David never really intended for such serious consequences. No one ever really does, right? Uh, we don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. We just really don't. And, uh, but David, he kind of, he uh, seeks the Lord here in, in this cave and, and uh, he confesses, uh, telling Abiathar he is responsible for the massacre when it's revealed to him. Look at uh, 22, in chapter 22, verse 22. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day, when Doeg, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. And so David takes responsibility for his, his mistake there. And, and he confesses that. And, and listen, we need to confess our sin. Uh, we need to confess our sin. It's a big deal. Um, David, in, in this cave, uh, you know, nearest what I can see, it's, it's, I think he... Uh, at, at some point, he writes Psalms 34 and Psalm 142 uh, based on these circumstances that are taking place with Ahimelech and, or Ahimelech and, 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 and the, them being slaughtered. And, and, uh, but David, I want you to notice, he personalized his confession. 
Uh, he doesn't make excuses or claim to be the victim of some circumstances. He, he accepts responsibility for, for, for his sin, and, and he doesn't play the blame game. Well, it's Saul's fault, really. He's the one trying to kill me, right? That's what a lot of us would do. Well, it's really Saul's fault, and Saul made the order to kill those folks. And, but he takes personal responsibility for a sin, and he admits it there to, uh, to a by far. And, and, uh, and I want you to notice Psalm 32, 5. You can turn there if you want. And, and this is David here. It says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. And, and I, if you notice there, there are eight personal pronouns in uh, Psalm 32, 5. David personalizes those sins. Um, and he talks about sin and he talks about iniquity. And I have some notes here about the Hebrew word. I was going to try to, you know, to, to woo you with my intelligence or something. No, not really. It was, but uh, getting into that stuff, the more I dig into it, the more I realize I don't know anything. Anyway, but the Hebrew word there, uh, hatawa maybe, in the Old Testament it means to miss the mark. That's the Hebrew word for sin there, and, and really the same thing in the Greek. Um, it, it's kind of a general word used to describe an offense against God. Iniquity, um, I won't try to pronounce that in the original, it is more specific and refers to perverting what is good. And, and we know that David did that by deceiving the high priest there. And, and then he talks about transgressions in Psalm 32 also and uh, means to rebel and, and those things. And, and uh, it is to revolt and go beyond the limits of God, uh, God's law. And uh, listen, David was guilty of all of that. And so are we. But David personalized his confession. And uh, he said, it was me, it was I, it's my sin. And uh, <clears throat> listen, we need to personalize our sin. It needs to be personalized. If not, it's just we're making excuses. Don't try to make excuses for it. It's sin. It's iniquity. It's transgression. Uh, and, and, and listen, we need to verbalize our confession. And, and uh, <clears throat> God can forgive us. If we will just go to him, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, David teaches us the idea of, of verbalizing our sin in Psalm thirty-eight, eighteen: For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Dawag. That word sorry in that verse, I looked it up in the original, and it has the idea to fear, to be anxious, to be concerned, to be afraid, be careful. Does your sin trouble you? Listen, today I'm afraid our sin doesn't trouble us to the point where we become sorry. Understanding that we have transgressed the law of God and and now we have iniquity in our hearts. There's sin. Listen, there's something at the door, if you will. I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. Does your sin break your heart this morning? 
I'm afraid today it doesn't. I'm afraid many sins, we just are, they're commonplace in our lives. And we've accepted defeat. And we've accepted a limited capability uh, to, to labor for the Lord. And, and uh, <clears throat> we need to get to the place, that, like in Psalm 51, verse 3, it says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. The sin that is in your life this morning is hindering your walk and service for God. And if that's not troublesome to you, you need to deal with it. Listen this morning. I desire God to do something with me, with my family, with our church family, but we can't do it with sin in our lives. And I'm telling you, I don't care how small you think it is, I don't care how big you think it is, it needs to be dealt with so that we can be those vessels of honor that God can use. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for the example of the life of David. And Lord, how we know that even when we sin and and we make mistakes, Lord, that you're there ready to forgive And Lord, I pray that we would be a purified people. Lord, I pray that we would deal with sin. Lord, I pray that we would come and humble ourselves before you and confess it. And Lord, that we would get it right. Lord, that we might be used of you. And I pray, Lord, that you would take our church and do great and mighty things that we know not. I pray that you would just take our church and turn Rapid City upside down for the gospel. And now, Father, we pray that you bless the morning service. We pray that you would just fill this place. Lord, be with the pastor as he preaches. We pray that you would hide him behind the cross, give him liberty, and give him power as he preaches. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would fill this place and that you would speak to each and every heart, that each one of us would deal with those things that you lay in our hearts. Lord, save the lost. Lord, work in their hearts, convict them of their sin, help them to see their need of a Savior. Lord, I pray that they turn to Christ today, and I pray that believers... Lord, would Lord, just desire to walk with you, Lord, and that we would get those things cleared up that are hindering us from ministering for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.